From the State Capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capitol Report. Governor DeSantis pushes back on the notion that he's responsible for public school book bans. That's a false narrative in service of using our schools uh, for indoctrination rather than education. Also this week, while some lawmakers think teaching kids about the dangers of communism will promote American values, others aren't so sure. This cultural Marxism, in my opinion, um, and based on, on research, is a very politically charged terminology. We'll also check out the status of bills restricting youthful access to social media and providing more access to mental health services. It's the end of week six of the Florida lawmaking session, just three more to go. I'm Tom Flanagan, online and on air. This is Capitol Report and the end of week wrap up of top stories from Tallahassee. Funding for Capitol Report is provided by the following. Florida State University, a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. And from HR Florida State Council, affiliate of the Society of Human Resource Management, advocating for the workplace on behalf of 16,000 human resource professionals and 6,300 Florida employers. HR Florida State Council. More at hrflorida.org. Critics of recent laws allowing school books and other classroom materials to be challenged and removed have categorized the effort as book banning, and many school districts have taken steps, some drastic, to keep themselves from running afoul of these new state laws. Governor Ron DeSantis himself has spearheaded the efforts to keep inappropriate books away from kids, but now he's endorsing a plan to curb what some see as excessive challenges while also saying widespread book banning is a hoax. Lynn Hatter explains. Governor DeSantis has long championed removing what his administration sees as inappropriate books and materials in schools. Here he is in a March 2023 press event where he highlighted examples of books he says state changes have helped block from classroom shelves. The event highlighted sexually graphic passages from books like Gender Queer, Flamer, and Let's Talk About It, which were taken out of some school districts. During that event, DeSantis also declared widespread book banning to be a hoax. So a lot of that, what's been going on, is an attempt to create a, a political narrative. And it's a false political narrative, and that's, that's bad enough as it is, I guess. But, but for me, uh, the important thing is, is that's a false narrative in service of using our schools uh, for indoctrination rather than education. Other removals and challenges have been more controversial like challenges and removals to works like I Am Billie Jean King, The Kite Runner, and Toni Morrison's Beloved. DeSantis maintains book banning is a hoax, but he recently endorsed a House plan to curb school book removals and challenges. We like people wanting to be involved in what's going on. You know, to just show up and object to every single book under the sun, that is not uh, an appropriate uh, a situation here. And, and we've seen that occasionally. 
According to the group PEN America, Florida has surpassed Texas in the number of books removed from schools, and 40 percent of books tossed out of schools nationwide happened in this state. The Florida Department of Education also keeps a list of book challenges and removals, and the school districts with the highest figures are Clay County, Escambia, and Martin. Many of those challenges were made by only a handful of people with no ties to those districts, says PEN America's Katie Blankenship. The governor is, and, and Governor DeSantis is way acknowledging that there has been harm done and something needs to change. We agree with that. Mm-hmm. Certainly we agree with that. We've been saying that, and, and, you know, from the rooftop. PEN America is a First Amendment watchdog group that promotes reading and literacy. The organization is also suing Escambia over book removals, which were done by the district itself. As part of a broader bill that would roll back regulations on public schools, the Florida House has pitched an idea to charge a $100 fee to people without kids in a school who challenge books if they've unsuccessfully challenged five or more within a calendar year. The idea is to stop the excessive challenges. And if you look at the history of the objections that originated from non-government actors from the school board not acting on its own per 1069 or its interpretation thereof, it's a handful of people. It's like literally three or four people that are responsible for hundreds, hundreds of these book bans. PEN America's Blankenship notes the House plan would not stop any removals by school districts themselves, but is the start of an admission that maybe some of the so-called anti-woke proposals pushed within the last few years went too far. I'm Len Hatter. If there are some books in schools that aren't as accessible as they used to be to Florida students, there are others that at least some lawmakers would like to see a lot more accessible. Republican lawmakers are trying to mandate anti-communist education in Florida schools at all ages. But as Tristan Wood reports, some Democrats are concerned elementary students might be too young for the topic. The bill requires, beginning in the 2026-2027 school year, that the history of communism be included in required instruction to public school students in grades K-12. through Florida students are already taught about it in grades 7 and 9-12. through Instruction would include education about the atrocities, tactics, and philosophies of foreign and domestic communist movements. The measure would launch a task force to develop the curriculum and determine what is age-appropriate at all grade levels. One of the sponsors, Northport Republican Representative James Buchanan, says the goal of the bill is to push back against increased favorability about communism among young Americans. That we are you know, resisting the normalization of, of some of this uh, theoretical uh, conversation around the abstract of communism and making sure we're actually having a conversation about uh, not just theor- theoreticals, but how it how it's played out in history. The legislation received glowing support from Republicans. Hialeah Representative and Cuban-American Alex Rizzo says if students can learn about other difficult subjects, they can learn about the horrors of communist regimes. We do have curricula in almost every single grade level K through 12 that talks about the sins of slavery, that talks about the horrors of the Holocaust, but does not yet really address the over 100 million people who were victimized, murdered, displaced, and about 100 years' worth of communism in our society. But some Democrats have opposed the bill. Palm Beach Democratic Representative Catherine Waldron is concerned elementary school students would be too young to understand the subject. 
in kindergarten, I had just finished learning my, my colors, and I was reading Dr. Seuss, and I'm pretty sur sure the words communism, capitalism would have just not, I wouldn't have understood any of that. At its first committee stop, Tampa Democratic Representative Susan Valdez also raised concern about the phrase cultural Marxism appearing in the bill. That phrase refers to an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that Jews and liberals are making an academic and intellectual effort to subvert Western society via a planned culture war that undermines Christian values. This cultural Marxism, in my opinion, um, and based on, on research, is a very politically charged terminology, and, you know, neo-Nazis use it. Um, Anti-Semitic uh, terms are used within this, and I am afraid that this is what we're doing to our children at a very young age. By the second committee stop, the bill sponsors removed the term cultural Marxism from the bill. The House and Senate versions still have another committee stop before going to a full chamber vote. I'm Tristan Wood. Coming up on Capitol Report, state lawmakers struggle to make proposed restrictions on young people accessing social media immune from legal challenge. This bill, when it comes to social media, is content neutral. So you think those movie scenes showing a Florida location were actually filmed in Florida? Think again think that someone could recreate it and more importantly recreate it cheaper uh, by going to Georgia is really flabbergasting, but that, that actually happened. A bill that would bar kids younger than 16 from accessing social media is undergoing a series of changes in the Florida Senate. Adrian Andrews reports the move follows concerns that the bill could violate the U.S. Constitution. Going into the new year, House Speaker Paul Renner told lawmakers his focus this session would be taking steps to protect Florida's youth from the dangerous impacts of social media. The rise of social media has hollowed out what should be a childhood full of happiness and big dreams. The Florida House granted him his wish with HB1, which is a bipartisan effort to ban children under 16 from accessing sites like TikTok and Instagram. Opponents pushed back on the proposal, arguing that parents are best suited to decide whether social media is a good choice for their child. They also raised concerns about how companies could go about verifying a person's age without violating their privacy. And recently, Governor Ron DeSantis raised similar concerns. I don't want to have anything where government is forcing the disclosure of folks. But when you're talking about verifying ages, if you do that in a way that's ham-handed, you're going to lead to that. DeSantis pushed back on the idea of adults being told to show personal information to access apps like Facebook or Twitter, and he says he won't support the measure if he thinks it won't hold up in the courts. Now senators are working to address those concerns. An amended version of the bill suggests other alternatives for verifying a user's age and more narrowly defines what kinds of apps will be impacted so that the bill now specifically addresses social media in the section, pornography in one other section, and the age verification requirements. Fort Pierce Republican Senator Erin Grawl is carrying the bill in her chamber. She says with the changes, it zeroes in on addictive features and cracks down on inappropriate material found on websites. She also says with the revised version, state lawmakers can now be on the same page when it comes to defining what's a social media platform. They have to have the algorithm that tracks, selects content, and targets advertising. They have to have one or more of the addictive features. They have to 
have 10% or more of their daily active users younger than 16 spending on average two hours per day and allow a user to upload content and view the content and activity of another user. House Speaker Paul Renner says he supports the Senate's changes. The amended version heads next to the Senate floor. I'm Adrian Andrews. Florida is facing a health care worker shortage, and state officials say part of that shortage includes workers who can help treat mental and behavioral health conditions. Regan McCarthy reports a bill to address that would create behavioral health teaching hospitals. U.S. officials estimate that about a quarter of the country's population is experiencing some form of mental illness. Bradenton Republican Senator Jim Boyd says that puts the number of Floridians needing mental health treatment in the millions. While numbers are not exact and often difficult to track, that would equate to just over 5 million Floridians experiencing some form of mental illness. And various varying estimates put those experiencing a serious mental illness in Florida between 300 and 700,000. St. Petersburg Democratic Senator Daryl Roussan says there's no question the need for behavioral health treatment is great. We've come a long way in behavioral health, but we have a long way to go. And the pandemic ripped the scab off the wounds and exposed more need for mental health and in the behavioral sciences. Boyd and Roussan are both backing a bill that would create a pilot program designating four behavioral health teaching hospitals. Under the measure, the hospitals would be required to offer psychiatric residency programs and postdoctoral clinical psychology fellowships. In exchange, the bill earmarks $100 million to funnel to those hospitals in the next fiscal year. The measure is part of Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo's Live Healthy package, a plan aimed at increasing access to health care and addressing Florida's growing doctor shortage. I'm Regan McCarthy. A proposal aimed at helping charities like food banks get discounted prices for fresh foods is moving in both chambers of the Florida legislature. Gina Jordan reports lawmakers are considering a pilot program to help curb food insecurity. Approximately 20% of Floridians are food insecure, including over 1 million children, and too often those who are food insecure lack access to high-quality food products, which contributes to an overall lower quality of life. Zephyr Hills Republican Danny Burgess sponsors the Senate bill. It directs the Department of Agriculture to implement a program that would provide incentives to companies to sell fresh products to so-called food recovery entities. Republican Representative Rick Roth has been working on the House version of the bill for years. He's a sugarcane and vegetable farmer in Palm Beach County. The first thing that I really was trying to do four years ago was to improve the quality of the produce that goes to the food recovery entities. Roth says he also wants to bolster the quantity of food being distributed. We learned with COVID-19 that there's a much bigger need uh, for food recovery, and that's what my goal of my bill is, is to really be able to grow and expand their food recovery program by putting in some guardrails, by having some assurances that the quality of the product will be better, that the money will be spent uh, in a transparent and accountable way. During the height of the pandemic, Roth says cars lined up for food in his district were often getting produce that was going bad. That was the catalyst for this year's proposal. It defines various terms like high-quality fresh food products. It says nonprofit food programs would be able to purchase produce at no more than 50 percent of the current wholesale market price from growers. 
the food recovery entry would have to provide an invoice and a lot of other information because we want to know that what the age of the product was and the quality of the product. So that's what my bill does is require information telling you the harvest date and also uh, other factors. A House staff analysis found that an estimated 40 percent of food produced in the U.S. goes uneaten. Tavares Republican Representative Keith Trunow praised the legislation. Thank you, Representative Roth, for uh, working this policy for all these years and, you know, trying to keep agriculture alive in the state of Florida and, and help feed the masses. So thank you for your persistence. If approved, the pilot program would be funded at $5 million in the state budget that starts July 1st. I'm Gina Jordan. This next story takes place in a Georgia town just north of the Florida line, and we're including it in the program because the issue has literally gone viral and could very well have a Florida impact at some point. The company behind a $400 million research monkey breeding facility is suing Decatur County after its officials rescinded a vote to offer millions in tax breaks. The decision to walk back the vote comes amid public outcry over the facility and accusations of skirting open meetings laws. Alexandra Dresner brings us that. On December 11th, city and county officials approved the breeding facility project. Estimates put its financial benefit at $300 million, with promises from the company behind it, Safer Human Medicine, to build a facility that will eventually house up to 30,000 monkeys meant for research. The officials agreed to give the facility a 10-year tax break and donated 200 acres of land. But that vote was not done publicly. In January, public outcry ensued, and this week, Bainbridge officials reneged on their vote for the facility, which remains under heavy community pressure. Bainbridge resident Vina Merritt says, Monkeys are screaming for their lives to be spared, not in a sanctuary, but in a place that causes the pain. Elise Boyd owns property in Decatur County. Boyd reads a city website page during the county meeting. The goal, the goal of the planning department is to protect the public's safety, health, and general welfare, and to maintain a quality of life in the community while preserving its lifestyle and values. I do not see that the monkey facility is adhering to this. They were among dozens of people who have spoken out recently against the project. Among resident concerns, worries about the monkeys getting loose, the potential risk of disease, and declining property values. In response to the most recent vote, Safer Human Medicine released a statement saying the health and welfare of animals at the breeding facility will be its top priority. They also noted that the project brings much-needed new jobs to the area. Lisa Jones-Angle is a senior science officer for PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. She has been active in the fight against the facility, disagrees with the Safer Human Medicine statement, and argues the monkeys pose a danger to human health. They are shedding in their urine, their feces, their saliva, their blood, everything from um, Ebola-like viruses and Campylobacter and Shigella and Yersinia 
salmonella, tier one select agent bacteria, um, herpes B, simian retrovirus, STLV. All of these pathogens have been documented in the monkeys who are landing here in the US, who are undergoing what is supposed to be a, a safety quarantine, and who are then leaving that quarantine still infected with these pathogens. Engel also says Safer Human Medicine made the deal with Bainbridge to intentionally keep people in the dark. Never underestimate what this community did. They, they stood up to a person, everyone there, and said, no, they made their voices heard. And like you said, around the globe. This isn't mice that we're talking about. These are highly intelligent, larger mammals um, that, you know, they require a lot of work. So are you able to keep up those standards with the amount of staff that you say you're going to require? Veterinarian Colleen McCarthy works with exotic animals and says while she's opposed to animal testing, there are strict guidelines in place to ensure that animals kept in these facilities are not mistreated. There are very, very strict guidelines um, as far as you know, animal research goes and what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, and then the way these animals are kept obviously has to meet a certain standard. McCarthy, too, worries about health and environmental issues, but also calls animal testing a, quote, necessary evil. If there's ever a way to, to do without it, um, I think especially in the U.S., we would we would pursue that. Um, but unfortunately, I do not think that there are um, any models or anything to date that could really replace a live subject. Under the original plan, the company would have phased in the number of monkeys housed there, growing to the full 30,000 projection within 20 years. In return, Decatur County granted approximately $58 million in tax credits in return for more than 200 jobs with an average salary of $64,000. I'm Alexandra Dresner. Controversial bills aimed at preventing local governments from removing historical monuments and restricting the types of flags flown at schools and other public buildings appear to be dead in the Florida Senate. The Monuments Bill seeks to prevent removal or destruction of historical monuments from public property and has been controversial because of debate about whether it is designed to prevent removal of memorials to the Confederacy. Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo last week raised questions about the future of the bill after several lawmakers voiced outrage about comments by speakers who supported the bill at a committee meeting. This week, Pasadomo says she doesn't expect the Senate to move forward on the monuments bill and that the flags bill is stuck in a committee that will not meet again. The bill itself is benign, if you read it. It's benign. But it has been weaponized by both sides. And that troubles me. That's not how um, we run our chamber. That's not how we pass our legislation. The monument bill does not mention the Confederacy, but it came amid disputes in places such as Jacksonville about removing monuments to the Confederacy. The flags bill, meanwhile, has drawn controversy as opponents contend it is designed, at least in part, to prevent display of LGBTQ pride flags. The 2024 legislative session ends March 8th. You're listening to Capital Report from WFSU Public Media.
I'm Tom Flanagan. Finally this week, Florida was once considered the Hollywood of the South. Now, movies set in Florida are actually being filmed in other states and even other countries. That can be blamed in part on the lack of an incentive program in Florida, which is driving movie makers to other places. WUSF's Craig Kopp has more on Florida's rich film history and potentially dim future. The remake of the cult classic Roadhouse starring Jake Gyllenhaal is set in the Florida Keys. It was filmed almost entirely in the Dominican Republic. Houston, we have a problem. Back in the day, Apollo 13 was partially shot in Florida, but that figures where else are you going to shoot a film about a space launch to the moon? A bigger surprise is that Pasco County became home to Edward Scissorhands. Those are your hands? Cocoon shot in St. Petersburg. We won't get any older and we won't ever die. Magic Mike took it all off in the Tampa Bay region. You're welcome to stay. Even Elvis showed up to film in Crystal River and points along the nature coast. You've got to follow that dream wherever that dream may lead. But the dream may be over. In 2015, which was the last year we had a statewide incentive, we were actually the third largest filming destination in the United States. Uh, Since then, we've precipitously fallen, and now we're not even in the top 20. That's Tyler Martin-Olich, executive director of Film Tampa Bay, which helps coordinate with movie companies in the region to get movies, TV shows, and commercials filmed here. He traces the precipitous drop in Florida filming to more states getting into paying movie companies incentives through tax breaks and the like to shoot there, and Florida pulling out of the incentive game. So that started our problem. Uh, And then you had, you know, our adjacent state, Georgia, really step into the to the gap. Uh, they created one of the best incentive programs in the United States. They stole a lot of productions from elsewhere. Uh, and now they are the reigning champion as, as far as film production goes in the U.S. And that has led to the strange Hollywood phenomenon in which a film set in Tampa is actually filmed in Georgia. This is heaven. referring to uh, Live by Night, uh, which was written about Ybor City, one of the most iconic and oldest cities uh, outside of St. Augustine uh, in the state of Florida. Uh, It has just a rich history. And to think that someone could recreate it and more importantly, recreate it cheaper uh, by going to Georgia is really flabbergasting. But that, that actually happened. In eliminating incentives, state officials said it was just about return on investment and that the incentive program was only returning cents on every dollar spent. Martin Olich does agree that it's the economics that led to state opposition to incentives and not that Hollywood is avoiding Florida over the culture wars here. I would point to Louisiana, point to Oklahoma, point to Georgia, point to Texas, Uh, They're equally as conservative, in some cases more conservative, I think, than Florida is uh, in many ways. And yet film production is absolutely booming there. Martin Olich is convinced state government isn't anti-film, just anti-incentives. And he thinks that's short-sighted. Visit Florida did a study that showed one in four tourists coming into Florida made that decision entirely based on a movie or TV series they saw that showed off Florida in some way or form. And then there's the local pride factor. People want to see the place they live, work, and play on the big screen. It matters to them uh, when they can look and say, oh, I know that location, or that's my friend's house, or I knew someone that worked on it. And you can still do that by watching something like a 2023 Netflix movie starring Emily Blunt and Chris Evans about crooked prescription drug makers. Get a doctor to prescribe your drug. You know we bill on a full-dose script? What? 40 grand. 
Pain Hustlers, uh, which shot all their exteriors here in Tampa. And I think it really showcases just how beautiful our waterfront is and how unique it is. Uh, they've got helicopter shots all the way along Bayshore. But again, standing in for Tampa for the principal shooting of Pain Hustlers. Georgia, of course. In Tampa, I'm Craig Kopp. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. Thanks also to Alexandra Dresner and Craig Cobb. Technical support for Capitol Report comes from Taylor Cox and I'm Tom Flanagan. Join us again next week online and on air for more reports from the state capitol. Funding for Capitol Report is provided by the following. The Florida AFL-CIO representing over 1 million union members, retirees, and their families, committed to building a better future for all Floridians by promoting healthy communities, economic justice, and dignity in the workplace. Online at flaflcio.org. And from Florida State University, a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU Specialty Plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.